Next speaker is Belinda Nicholson. Belinda has just completed a Master of Science Physics degree in Astronomy at the University of Melbourne and is currently at Swinburne Uni studying the colliding galaxies in far away and long ago universe. When she's not trying to comprehend the mysteries of space, she's throwing people up in the air and cheerleading or punching things in Taekwondo, as well as appearing as a regular panellist and host in the Pseudoscientist podcast. Belinda. When I got asked to talk about my scientific hero, um, the first name that came to my head was Ruby Payne Scott. Um, I'd heard about her because there's an award named after her at the CSIRO, and this award is given to women who have taken maternity leave um, from their research career, and it's given to them to help them re-establish themselves when they come back um, and to network and get back into their field. Um, I'd also known, heard of her because she'd played a pioneering role in radio astronomy, a field that's now massive and crucial um, to our understanding of the universe. Um, but I didn't quite appreciate just how important her role has been, not only to women in astronomy and physics, but to every working woman in Australia today. And I realise just how lucky I am um, being a physicist today um, and just how many hurdles I didn't have to face um, because she faced them first. Ruby was born in May 1912 in New South Wales and at age 16 she was accepted into a science degree at Sydney University. This was despite having a family that was not particularly supportive and a brother that was so jealous of her one day that he took her books and sold them when she was out of the house. Nevertheless, she became the third woman in the history of Sydney University to graduate from a science degree. She graduated with first-class honours in mathematics and science and physics, and she then went on to get a Master of Science. When she graduated, there were no jobs for women in physics. She was hired as a physicist at a cancer research centre, which closed down only a few years later. Her only option then was to start teaching at a girls' high school. A year after that, World War II began. She then applied to work at Australian Wireless Amalgamated, which at the time, controlled all of Australia's wireless networks. She was hired as a librarian. That, of course, was an appropriate role for a woman. She was not content as a librarian. She soon started editing their journal and conducting research herself and turned her role as a librarian into that of a full-time physicist. A couple of years later, she applied to the newly formed CSIR, which would later become the CSIRO, to the Department of Radio Physics. She, with a long, along with another woman, Joan Freeman, became one of the first women to be hired as a physicist in Australia. This department was created um, to research radar technology during the war. 
This was top secret work. They even had a policeman standing outside the office door. And they weren't allowed to talk to anyone outside of the office about their work. And it was really hands-on work. It was uh, quite under-resourced. So to build their antennas, they'd use things like coat hangers and wires and anything they could get their hands on. Quite remarkably, she was paid equally with the male colleagues around her. She was hired in a, in a male role um, as a physicist. But she still faced some inequalities. For example, women were not permitted to smoke. Men could smoke, women were not. This was going to be discussed at a meeting that Ruby was attending. She decided to rock up smoking a cigarette. Women were also not permitted to wear shorts in summer. They were told that they needed to wear skirts or dresses. Ruby's response to this was, well, this is absurd. We're climbing up ladders, up on aerials every day. I'm not going up on a ladder in a skirt. So she didn't. It was also at this time that Ruby, along with her boss, Joe Pawsey, another great Australian physicist, uh, started pioneering work in radio astronomy. It was through detecting interference in their radar systems that led to the first observations of sunspots and also investigations into the magnetic activity of the sun. One evening, Joe took Ruby out onto the roof of one of the buildings at the University of Sydney and decided to point some antennas to the sky and to see what would happen. They didn't find anything. Uh, they didn't have the right antennas and the baselines were wrong. Uh, but nonetheless, this sparked the idea of looking at the sky at radio wavelengths. When the war was over, uh, the radio physics department, as it was, was shut down. There was no more need for radar technology investigations. Uh, but thankfully, uh, the government did fund a new radio astronomy group. And immediately, Joe Pawsey, who was the head of this group, appointed Ruby as a full-time permanent research assistant. It was during this time that Ruby contributed to some of the key discoveries about the sun, measuring the sun's temperature to be millions of degrees as opposed to 6,000, as was previously thought. She had the physics knowledge to calculate the magnetic fields of solar flares, and it was her that deduced that the auroras, the northern and southern lights, were caused by charged particles in solar flares that were interacting with the Earth's magnetic field. Her inequality problems were not over. After the war, the CSIRO returned to the old pay system. That is, paying women about two-thirds to three-quarters of what the men were paid. This was thought acceptable because, hey, women aren't the breadwinners. They've got men to take care of them. But Ruby wasn't happy with this. She requested equal pay. And quite unusually, she got it. And she got back pay for all the time that she was underpaid. This sets her almost a decade ahead of her time. It wasn't really until the, the 50s and 60s um, that women were really starting to be vocal and equal pay was really becoming a thing. But there was one inequality 
in the workplace that Ruby could not overcome. A few months before being hired in the new radio astronomy department, Ruby had married a man by the name of Bill Hall. This was a dangerous move for her career-wise because married women were not allowed to be employed on a full-time basis. They could be employed on a temporary one-year contract if it could be shown that A, no, men could, no man could do the job and that the particular woman had specialised skills in that area. This law forbidding women to work full-time would not be overturned for another two decades. Ruby managed to keep her marriage a secret for over six years. But when she became pregnant, she sort of couldn't hide it any longer. And so was forced to resign. What's more, she never returned to physics, but instead started teaching. This is sort of the part of the story that I find really interesting and challenging. It was not that she wasn't wanted back. The CSIRO CEO, Fred White, uh, said in a letter that he would be very pleased to have her return to radio physics. So why she didn't return is something that we're not entirely sure on. I mean, physics is hard. We can understand her going, well, this is actually kind of hard. I'd, I'd like to go raise a family now. Fair enough. And who knows that maybe if a permanent contract had been available for her, if she hadn't had to suffer the indignity of yearly one-year contracts, that maybe she would have gone back. And who knows what sort of physics would have happened. Nevertheless, despite only working in physics for less than a decade, she still made a huge impact on the field scientifically. Not only that, but she put up with and stood up to the bullshit so that I and other female physicists and astrophysicists since then don't have to. Thanks, Ruby. <laughs>